You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Happy Friday and welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Uh, it's the weekend, baby. And we're going to get you rolling into the weekend on a great note with a great show. Uh, we're going to join uh, the rest of America and talk about what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, you guys know I, I don't try to pass myself off as some sort of geopolitical expert. Uh, I talk about things that I, I know a, a great deal about or, or think I do. I like to talk about sports and culture and race, and we'll, we'll dip in a little politics where it makes sense. Uh, but <clears throat> I've been a little bit reluctant to talk about the Ukraine because I just don't know a lot about this conflict. But the benefit of living 54 years is that you meet a lot of interesting people and over the course of that, that amount of time. And, and so Christian Ray Flores, you guys, he's been on the show before. He's a minister in Austin, Texas. Uh, he's a new friend of mine in the last six months. Had him on the show. He knows Russia and the Ukraine. <laughs> he's had two kids born in, in Moscow. Uh, he lived in Moscow and the Ukraine. His, I think his grandmother is Russian and his grandfather's Ukrainian. Uh, he knows <laughs> the Ukraine and Russia and this conflict, and he knows it from both a having lived there, a cultural, political perspective, but he'll also know and give us some insight on a spiritual perspective. And so Christian's gonna join us here in a second. Uh, before we get to Christian, I wanna tell you, Steve, Kim is <clears throat> gonna be here. and. Kim knows boxing, and the Klitschko brothers, the uh, former heavyweight champions, they're Ukrainian. They're in their country, in their homeland, fighting to uh, defend their country. And so we'll talk to Steve Kim about the Klitschko brothers. I think it's Vitaly. He's actually the mayor of a city uh, in, in Ukraine. So uh, we'll get Steve Kim's take on what the Klitschko brothers do. I think it has some good synergy. with what TJ Moe and I talked about yesterday about like how athletes aren't as patriotic as they used to be, American athletes, but here's the Klitschko brothers putting it with millions of dollars, high profile, putting their lives on the line for their country and homeland. And then Uncle Jimmy will uh, chime in with, his with our approval rating segment. He's been dying to talk about uh, LeBron James and the pressure that uh, LeBron has been putting on his son, Bronny, about playing in the NBA. Uh, but we'll actually do the, the approval segment will be on the Klitschko brothers. But Uncle Jimmy's got some things about little Bronny and LeBron, he wants to get off his chest. So uh, without further ado, 
uh, let's roll out to Austin, Texas, and talk to our resident expert on this situation in Ukraine and Russia. All right, so without further ado, let's go to Christian Flores, our resident expert on Ukraine and Russia. And so, Christian, uh, what has it been like for you this week, the past 48 hours, as two countries you absolutely adore are in tragic conflict with each other? What's this week been like for you? Jason, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's, been, it's been surreal. It's been heartbreaking. Uh, I haven't gotten a lot of sleep. Uh, I've been talking to people uh, both in Russia and Ukraine, you know, multiple times a day, just trying try to get a picture of what's going on. Uh, it is one of those things that you think unthinkable that you'll never experience in your lifetime. And then when it does happen, um, it's just hard to process. And yet here it is. Here we are. So you say unthinkable, but again, having grown up in Russia, spent time in the Ukraine, were there not rumors or conversations about the conflict, uh, potential or tension between the two countries? Uh, I mean, you, you, you're saying you're completely stunned by this. When I listen to other people, they say this has been like 20, 30 years in the making. No. A yes and no. I think um, politically, yes. Politically, we can, you, can, you, you could have sensed the tension and things advancing and sort of ebbing and flowing. I think culturally, no. I think that's probably the big thing, right? So Russia and Ukraine are brotherly nations that go back centuries and centuries and centuries, right? Actually, more than that. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the sort of the statehood of Russia started in the, in the city of Kiev, Ukraine, which is the irony of it. Um, but culturally, they're deeply intertwined. You know, as you said, my my grandmother, I'm a quarter Russian, a quarter Ukrainian, half Chilean, so I'm sort of a mutt. But uh, my my grandmother was Russian. My grandfather was Ukrainian. He fought uh, through the whole pro the whole World War II from 39 to 45, side by side, shoulder to shoulder with Russian soldiers. And at the time, obviously, Russia and, and the US were allies all the way to Berlin. They've shed blood together. So it is a sacred thing, culturally, between Russians and Ukrainians. Uh, there's obviously a lot of cultural overlap, music, language, you know, similarities, same family of languages. So on a cultural level, it's it's unthinkable. It's it violates something profound. Uh, and then on a personal level, obviously, I am being, you know, in those places, my two oldest daughters were born in Moscow. My youngest daughter was born in Kiev. Um, as I was a performing artist for a long time, a very successful one, and I toured all over both Russia and Ukraine. So I've been to all these places that are war-torn right now that I see. Um, so um, I think on a cultural level, it's terrible. On a political level, it is sort of, it, it is extremely painful to watch how politics and power-hungry people can divide and create this kind of tension that is not organic to those two nations. So the media is telling us again, I don't know anything about this, so I'm gonna ask very naive questions because I, I just, I just wanna know. 
is Vladimir Putin, is he the bad guy in all of this that he, as he's being portrayed in the media? Well, I would say this. It really depends on how you think, right? What your worldview is. Um, from the standpoint of a, of a free society, of a democratic society that thrives on free markets, uh, the West, right, insured. Uh, yes, uh, uh, clearly. From his standpoint, the way he thinks about the world, uh, he's probably, he probably thinks of himself more as a, as a messianic figure, um, someone who has almost like a historic role um, that in restoring a thousand year tradition of Russian supremacy and uh, sort of a status, status of a, a global player, a, a superpower. Uh, so I think from his standpoint, he feels attacked by the West, corroded by the West, lied to by the West. And that's the narrative. And that's actually, I really believe he believes that. It's, I don't think it's a game. And so in his mind, his intentions are not remotely evil. It's, it's in his mind, he's completely justified. He's not some power hungry person that's reneging on some promise. He, he's doing, I guess, what he believes he was destined to do. I think he is, yes. Now, I think he's power hungry as well. I think you can rationalize anything and create a noble rationale behind something that you're doing that is destructive and um, out of sync with the world, with the, with the world, or most nations in the world. Um, so there's that, right? So I, I'm asking you political questions off top. Eventually I'm gonna ask you for a spiritual perspective on what we're seeing, but I, I want, what do you think, and this is just from a political perspective, what should the United States do here? Is sanctions going to be enough? Is, is, is this crime so horrific that we should risk American lives and send troops into the area? What should America's response be? Well, I'm not a political analyst, um, and I, I'm, I'm apolitical, uh, mostly apolitical, right? I think when it comes to the ex extremes, I can probably have and voice some opinions, but um, I would say that I would say that these are this is a clash of ideologies. That's what it is. Um, and each side, uh, if you if you believe in the ideology of of what you know the narrative that Putin has been actually quite frankly very transparently preaching for years and years and years, like nothing of what he's doing is out of sync with what he's been saying. I think. There's such a clash of ideologists, such a disbelief in what he's saying and thinking that many of us in the West look at it and go, you can't, you can't really mean that, right? <laughs> so, so I think the disconnect is not that he's, he hasn't been, you know, consistent in, in, the, in the arch of his, of his narrative, but in, it's such a clash of worldviews and what is good and what is bad and what is helpful and what is uh, harmful that um, that we just can't sync up. So I think it's a major clash of worlds and it's the beginning of something new. I think it's a tectonic shift, a, a new Cold War, 100%, no, no shadow of a doubt. We're back 
into a a, a world where there's where there's two at, le- at the very least two major sides to how how the world should function okay a titanic shift that leads me to the spiritual aspect of this uh, d- does any of this in your evaluation of this from a biblical perspective there's so much seeming chaos in the world so many things are changing overnight uh you know uh, american culture has changed overnight china has ascended to a, a place of you know seeming supremacy and influence particularly here in america but across the globe it seems like that's happened overnight so when you look at and you say you feel like this is the beginning of something i could see someone from a biblical perspective like whoo this is the beginning of the end i I don't want to over dramatize this but uh, are we looking at a potential another world war or just from a biblical perspective how would you evaluate what's going on in the world particularly as it relates to ukraine and russia well, from, I think from a spiritual perspective, and I think that is probably the one thing that gives someone who is, you know, a believer in, in Jesus and the Bible and the kingdom of God um, hope is that none of this is a surprise at all. Bottom line is there is a there is a spiritual battle going on, has been has been going on since the beginning of time. And um, it will not stop. It will ebb and flow and sort of flare up and calm down depending on where you are geographically. If you're sort of America-centric, you'll see it from that perspective. But evil is alive and well, has always been. And you know, let's say you, you, if you have experienced a decade of relative peace and prosperity in America, just ask someone in Somalia or Ethiopia or Vietnam, you know, uh, how how was your decade and they might have been in the in the thick of it for that decade where we living in the united states haven't experienced it so to it ebbs and flows is a spiritual battle it is a it is a dramatic epic battle i believe and i think the key thing is to not paint nations uh, with one brush I think the the battle is within the battle between evil and good. The boundary runs through the heart of every man and every woman. And then collectively we choose, we make we make choices, right? Group, you know, individual choices, group choices. Who do we support? How do we think? How do we vote? How do we engage into some in something like this? Um, and I think there are plenty of people in Russia who are opposed to the war, we've seen, um, you know, vid- uh, videos of, of thousands and thousands of people in St. Peter- Petersburg protesting the war. Um, I have, I've, I was a, you know, prominent artist in Russia for uh, over a decade. And many of my colleagues are protesting the war. And in a, in a climate where you have to pick side, sides, that's the climate, many of my colleagues, I know that this can cost them their career. And they're standing, taking a stand for peace. Poets, directors, musicians, entertainers, um, ballet dancers are taking a stand. People are taking a stand. Even people, it's not a homogenous group. I, 
I am friends with, uh, I know two people in, in the Russian parliament. Um, and one of them, personally, and one of them stuck to it and is now in the sanctioned list. Um, and the other one actually diverted from it months and months ago, months ago. And it just doesn't want to, it doesn't agree with the party line, let's put it that way. So even within the Russian parliament, the top levels of power, um, I don't think people think the same th thoughts. People are not robots, you know, they make their moral choices. So help someone like me, Christian, and I mean this sincerely, uh, because I, I think I'm like, I don't want to speak for other Americans, but I think I'm like a lot in terms of like, I know a little, I don't know a lot. Uh, but one thing that troubles me about the time that we're in right now, particularly here in America, is our society has become so secular, so distant from God, that it's hard for me to trust our decision making here in America from our political leaders. I don't know, you know, I've been sitting here for the past three to five years, like saying like, man, our, our political leaders are kind of siding with China and the Chinese Communist Party and, and, and a nation that's not based in Judeo-Christian values. And, and so I, I don't, I don't, I don't trust our leaders. And mm -hmm. it's, it's because they're reflecting this very secular culture we have in America. And so it's, it's hard for me to discern whether America is doing the right thing or not. And I mean, right now, I think everybody should be wagging a finger at Putin and Russia and saying, uh, you know, this is not right. I, I get that in the calls for peace. But I'm, I'm wondering about all the things that happened that led up to this. And, and should we have, I think one of their demands is like a promise that NATO, that you, the Ukraine's never gonna join NATO. And it's like, should we have done? I, I just, because our culture is so secular, it makes me very suspicious of our leadership. Give me some peace of mind <laughs> you know, I might actually, I might actually do the opposite. Uh, and the reason I tell you this is because, you know, one of the beautiful things in the United States, and uh, I love this country deeply, is that it's not only acceptable, but it's expected of us to criticize our leaders. And that is the beauty of being an American, without expecting massive persecutions, threat to your life and, and career, things like that. Um, and I think we should be suspicious of our leaders always, and that's a healthy thing, because we're the ones who vote for them, we're the ones who pay their salary, they work for us, not the other way around. And many other countries in the world just don't have that luxury of being able to say that, and to, for that to be a reality, a cultural reality in a country. So the messiness that we experience in America is a beautiful mess, because we can debate, we can clash, we can we can disagree with each other profoundly, and yet ultimately that's a healthy thing. Uh, when it comes to the course of action of, of our leaders in this particular thing, honestly, I don't have, I, I have some opinions, but it's an uneducated opinion of someone who's not a professional political analyst. Uh, but my sense is that yes, there were, there were some missteps um, in post, -cold, post the collapse of the Soviet Union, which by the way, I got a master's degree in economics studying Marxism and, and, and 
communist economics. Um, and then halfway through my studies in Moscow, my professor started teaching me free market economics. And I graduated with my degree on, in 1991, which is the very year where, the, where, where Russia collapsed. So I was, I was a witness to the whole thing. And what happened, I think, in that moment, there was an opportunity where I think the U.S. could have embraced the nascent free, free country of, of Russia um, and invested in almost like what we did with, with Germany, right, after World War II. Uh, and and that, that didn't really happen. What, what did happen is they were sort of treated as, you know, as the defeated, which is, which is true. They were defeated. Um, and that's a good thing, in my opinion. Uh, and yet what could have happened is this embrace, investment, integration, um, and that didn't happen. I think part of part of the sentiment that um, some people um, in the government in Russia are feeling is that they were abandoned, they were cheated, that things changed around and things like that. I think it's partially true. Like if you track the progress of things, that's also partially true, but it's not entirely true. That's the thing. So it's a mixed bag. And from a spiritual perspective, I don't think the government is the answer. It's, the government is never the answer, right? We shouldn't trust the government anyway. So, so yes, there's probably a higher level of corruption, evil, darkness uh, that emanates from Russia right now, and I really think it is. Um, and but no one is immune, and and government, power, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So. In the U.S., historically, we don't have absolute power, and thank God for that, right? But we do have power, and powerful people get corrupted by power. And we've seen this over the years, how the U.S. Uh, foreign policy has been just, you know, disrespectful of, of, of countries, of people, of choices, and meddled. You know, I was a result of that. I, you know, part of my family is in Chile, right? So my dad's Chilean. I was five year, four years old, five years old, when in 1973, um, the American government intervened and actually helped depose a democratically elected president in Chile, and actually backed a dictator who was just pro-American. And um, and we were all. I was a refugee as a result of that. My dad was in the concentration camp, and that was a direct sort of um, um, a direct intervention from the United States government. Now, ideologically, you can you can rationalize everything. Once again, right? We're coming back to that thing. You can rationalize. Okay, they were fighting against the advance of communism, Marxism in in the Western Hemisphere. It was worth it. Well, to us on the ground, it didn't feel worth it. You know, a lot of people suffered, including my family. Well, I read uh, the blog post you put out today, and I know that there you've been talking, engaging with, hearing from people that are suffering in the Ukraine right now. And so as Americans, what can we do to help? You can pray, you can speak up for peace, and you can help financially. Uh, there's going to be a, 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 a humanitarian crisis. I mean, that's completely inevitable. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, as a Christian, I believe we, the faith of the faith in the Bible and Jesus supersedes politics. So, uh, for example, this Saturday 
we're going to have a, a joint interview with church leaders from Moscow, Ukraine, and the, U the U.S. And I'll tell you something. While the war is going, the world is clashing and people are angry and upset and accusing each other, these men and women love each other like brothers, no matter what. And that is the future. That is the answer right there, right? We love each other as, as brothers. That doesn't change. We're going to be praying together, talking together, sharing stories. Um, and we're going to, um, yeah, I think they're showing a slide now. Uh, this is a nonprofit that I was a co-founder of, Ascend Mission Fund. So we started a Ukraine relief fund. And basically, you can take, you can give to the Ukraine Relief Fund. We're literally daily talking to many people um, that are spiritual, godly people in Ukraine, who will, who are the light of the world. They're on the ground and they're assessing, helping, shaping, um, helping people. Right. So there's going to be tons of tons of needs, and we're going to be getting help to them as soon as possible, you know, directly to to the to the victims of war in the next weeks and probably months. That's sort of my assumption. Well, Christian, I appreciate you taking the time and educating me and our audience. Seems like we'll be circling back to you. I don't know anybody else who has these type of ties <laughs> to the Ukraine and Russia. And so uh, I may be bugging you a little uh, in the near future again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And everyone, if you want to keep uh, sort of, I'm, I'll be posting updates from the ground. If you go to christianrayflores.com, you'll see some of those updates that post that uh, Jason was uh, referring to, and also a link to the, the Ukraine uh, Relief Fund. Any help helps, and we're just all in trying to, trying to be a light of the, to the world there. All right, thank you, Christian. Let me tell you guys about my good friends at Good Ranchers, America has a meat problem because almost everything in grocery stores is sourced or processed in foreign countries. But our friends over at Good Ranchers are here to solve our meat problem. They only sell 100% American meat sourced from local American farms. They sell beef that's USDA prime and upper choice, chicken that's better than organic, and premium seafood. With Good Ranchers, you'll get steakhouse quality food delivered right to you in the comfort of your own home. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com fearless today to have a delicious American meals on your table. Order now with the code FEARLESS to get $25 off your box. Now is the time to support American farms and ranches. They're hurting and you're hungry. Solve both of those problems with a box of American meat. Go to GoodRanchers.com FEARLESS. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You guys know it. I say it virtually every time I talk about Good Ranchers. You need to support them because they support you and your values and your way of life. Uh, we need to support the businesses that are supporting us. GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless at checkout. All right, Steve Kim, the Korean co-sell. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for the Korean co-sell. He's a good uh, segue, believe it or not, from... Minister Christian Flores, because uh, Steve Kim, as I said, uh, knows the Klitschko brothers. You know, Steve Kim, our resident boxing expert, he knows all sports, but he knows boxing the best. And so I wanted to get his take on the Klitschko brothers uh, staying behind in the Ukraine and strapping on helmets and grabbing muskets. And, you know, they're going to fight for their country. Uh, Steve. Are you surprised at all that the Klitschko brothers are, 
you know, willing to put their life on their line for their homeland. Uh, Jason, first of all, good afternoon. And no, I'm really not, especially as it relates to Vitali, who is the older brother. He has been active in politics. He's been the mayor of Kiev for several years now. So when you are a man that has been elected or has a position like that, there is at least a duty to stay behind and do your part. Now, before we start calling him General Schwarzkopf, maybe these are just some well-timed photo ops. I have to tell you, I give him a lot of credit because he seems like a very sincere individual. He, he, this is interesting to me. American athletes, when they put on a T-shirt or do a hashtag or they put on a T-shirt with the hashtag for some movement, they are just given all the credit in the world. Like, wow, that's courageous. Look at the stand. They don't do anything. And it reminds me of that Thomas Sowell tweet that ESPN told me to take down that basically activism is a way for a lot of useless people to feel important uh, even at the expense of their uh, actions having some grave consequences. I've always said the problem I have with most activism in American society, especially as it relates to athletes, Jason, is that the activism comes with no real action. It comes with gestures. It comes with a lot of virtue signaling. And especially with athletes, it comes with the threat of walking off the job and being called a hero for it. Uh, I mean, let's go back two years ago, what you called the summer of George Floyd, I remember the NBA players inside the bubble for about five or six hours. They were threatening to actually boycott the rest of the season. Jason, I was prepared to give those men credit. Like, wow, they're really going to do this and make a stand. And then basically, I'm assuming the uh, dialogue went like this. Yeah, but guys, you know we're not getting paid, right? And it's going to affect our next CBA. Uh, play ball. And that was the end of their activism. <laughs> Uh, here's a guy, yeah. and again, I, I don't know if bullets are going to be flying over Vitaly and Vladimir's head, but I, I think it's at least a powerful symbol, and it seems as though they are acting upon what they are saying. Well, listen, if they're anywhere near Kiev, bullets and yeah. rockets are flying, yeah. and you know they're definitely in harm's way. L let me ask you this. It's kind of a little bit off topic, but... If the Philippines were attacked, do you think Manny Pacquiao would would grab a helmet and a musket and, and fight? Now he's a politician. <sighs> yeah, that you know that's a great question. I really don't know. I, I do think Vitali is wired differently. He's a salty guy uh, in a gritty way. He's him and his brother are both very elegant individuals, tall, imposing guys. They're both about six, seven, chiseled when they were fighting at about 250 pounds. But Vitali's always been the grittier individual. I've always felt that out of the two brothers, and both of them are very courageous as prize fighters, if there was one that you wanted in a foxhole guarding your back with your life on the line, I think it would be Vitali. In years past, when there have been other uprisings and other situations, there are pictures from years ago when Vitali was not afraid to go up on the front line. So, I, look, I don't know about Manny. I really don't. That's a great question. Um, but I do know this. The Klitschko brothers, in my view, based on what I know about them, my dealings with them, which have been, you know, relatively minor, uh, they're very, very sincere. Uh, just for my own edification and some of the audience, give us your view on how good a heavyweight fighters were the Klitschko brothers. 
obviously they're not on the same level as Ali or Tyson or, but they did hold belts and I, yeah. how good were they? All right, from a pure boxing perspective, they each make an argument for being the best heavyweight of the 21st century. In terms of the overall historical perspective, they're probably within the top 10 to 20. Here's the thing that they have going for both of them. Vladimir and Vitali both racked up a lot of title defenses. Now, the argument will be they didn't fight anybody, uh, folks. Joe Lewis fought a, a thing called the Bum of the Month Club. Vitali and Vladimir, for the most part, fought a bum of the ever oh, every third or fourth month club. But here was the, the, the curse that they had. When they were both active fighters, okay, and Vladimir fought a lot longer than Vitaly did. Vitaly retired about a decade ago because of a bum knee. He was still the WBC champion. The problem was number one heavyweight was a Klitschko, Vladimir Vitaly. Number two was either Vladimir Vitaly. It was unprecedented that two brothers were so dominant within one weight class. So unless you're asking them to be Cain and Abel, they were never going to fight. And I'm not so sure either of them had that defining historical moment that makes them an all-time great. But if you look at the longevity and the number of defenses, also the evolution of athletes. These guys were 6'7", had the wingspan of a 747. They weren't always exciting. But I do think Vitaly was a little bit more of a grittier, tougher infighter. Um, they were both very tough to beat. What's interesting about Vladimir, he's one of the last heavyweight champions or the last one that the late, great Emmanuel Stewart trained. He actually rehabilitated, rehabilitated his career after some very surprising losses. And he said, the thing that is frustrating to me, Steve, is that he likes to play chess. And that shows up in the boxing ring. Goes Cronk fighting? We're all about a violent game of checkers. Very strategic, tactical fighter Vladimir was. Uh, I would say overall, though, the fact that they had longevity and consistency, they're in the top 10 to 20. I, 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 I would only ask you this because I know you can pull it out of your head. Uh, between the two of them, what was their, who was their best victory? Okay, this is an interesting question. When it comes to Vitaly Klitschko, I think his best quote-unquote victory was a loss. It was to Lennox Lewis. Kirk Johnson, I think it was in 2004, was scheduled to fight Lennox about 10 minutes from here at the Staples Kirk came up with an injury. Vitaly Klitschko uh, was then put into his place. On a week and a half notice, he had an unbelievable heavyweight scrap at the Staples Center. And Lennox said after that, I'm done. I'm done. I actually think that's his best performance. As it relates to Vladimir, I'll be honest. I don't know if there's a great heavyweight victory. I actually believe, and again, it's one thing to win, one thing to lose. Vladimir's last fight, which took place in 2017, was perhaps the best heavyweight fight prior to Fury Wilder 3. It was against a young, undefeated Anthony Joshua. Both guys hit the canvas and eventually... Anthony Joshua overwhelmed uh, Vladimir with his activity, stopped him in the 11th round in what was the 2017 fight of the year. So I know it's a backhanded compliment, but Jason, I think their best moments or most memorable moments inside the ring as fighters, unfortunately or not, came in losses. I will end on this note. I'm going to tack this topic on. Uh, Mike McCarthy of Front Office Sports is reporting that uh, – Fox Sports is in negotiations with mm. Sean Payton 
Uh, as we predicted, Sean Payton looks like he's yeah. going to be the replacement uh, for Troy Aikman. Do you think this is a long-term play by Sean Payton, or is he just doing it until Jerry Jones musters up the courage to fire Mike McCarthy? It could be a little bit of both, because what if McCarthy goes 14-2 and and goes to the Super Bowl? This, this reminds me a little <laughs> bit. Um, I mean, okay, yeah, okay. I'm just saying. I'm just, geez. Anyway, um, this reminds me a little bit, Jay. Remember when Pat Riley – suddenly quit as the Lakers coach. That thing had come to an end at the end of the 1990 season. And the NBA, on, the NBA went to NBC, and they hired him. And he kind of made it clear alongside Bill Parcells, who got hired at the same time, hey, we're never doing this again. We're never doing it. We're done. And one thing I've learned, coaches and prize fighters are like soldiers, in the words of Douglas MacArthur. They don't ever retire. They just kind of fade away. But this is what they do. This is what they are. I don't know how good Peyton's going to be, though. I think a lot of this has to do with his own job performance. When I remember Pat Riley as an NBA analyst in studio uh, working with guys like Bob Costas and Ahmad Rashad, I don't remember him being all that great. He was okay. Um, As it related to other athletes that were A-listers, I I referenced this a couple weeks ago. Remember, Jason, when they used to have the NFL on TNT? I think they called it Sunday Nitro. Had that for about four or five years, I think, in the early uh, 90s. Lawrence Taylor and Joe Montana had just retired. They were awful. They weren't good. Just This is one of my biggest pet peeves of athletes and coaches that get into this field, Jay. And obviously, me and you, we make it look effortless. The great ones make it look easy. This is what we do. We don't ever take it for granted. But we worked at this. They have to understand that once you get out of that realm into this realm, it is work. You have to work at this. And I'm going to reference this young man again, Tim Bradley of ESPN, former world champion in boxing. I I am so impressed with his work ethic because I know how much he cares about the craft. And he tells me, he goes, Steve, I want to be an all-time great announcer. This is basically what I think about. And they don't under, I think a lot of athletes and coaches don't realize it's not just you getting on camera. Here's a mic. Say stuff. No, no, no. You have to prepare just like you would for a game, and you have to have this on your mind. It has to become your passion. So the question I would have for Sean Payton is, now that you're a broadcaster and you've hung up the clipboard, is this your passion? That's what I want to know. Thank you, Steve. Uh, That's the Korean Cosell. Good job as always. Uh, Hey, he's got his fearless swag on. I like that. All right, uh, listen, I just got a big package in the mail. I got fully manscaped, men's below the waist grooming. Let's talk about it. If you haven't heard about it yet, Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. (laughs) They recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, the performance package, and you can join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. You'll get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with my code FEARLESS at manscaped.com. This performance package has it all. You get the lawnmower, you get the 4.0 trimmer, you get the weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, deodorant for the air, for the air down there, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FEARLESS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code FEARLESS. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I got my package today and open it up. There's all kinds of great things in there. I've already, the first thing I did was use the nose. I got my nose hairs all knocked out. They got shavers, they got body washes, they got, they got everything. It's awesome. I can't wait to take it home and use it. Uh, anyway, manscaped.com, fearless. They support you, they support me, they support our point of view. Hop on board with Manscaped and use the promo code FEARLESS. All right, uh, Delano, smartest man on the show. Thanks. All right, welcome back. Time for the smartest man on the show. Uh, we call him Professor D, Professor Delano. He's not really a professor. He's just one of the smartest guys talking about culture uh, in America, and we're honored to have him on the show. He has a passion for a particular issue, family, uh, and he has a particular passion for the black family and how American families in general are falling apart, uh, but this problem is most acute among uh, black families. And so Delano's written a column that uh, uses athletes, Cam Newton, uh, obviously the NFL former star quarterback, Van Jefferson, wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams, now a Super Bowl champion. He uses these two guys as a jumping off point to make a point about people's ideas, people's philosophy, people's mindset about family structure. Delano, uh, welcome back to the show, and uh, I'll let you describe what you wrote, wrote about today and what you're passionate about. Sure. Thanks, Jason. So I start the column with a simple question. Where's daddy? And I got that from a 1998 uh, Sports Illustrated issue that talked about um, the, the number of out-of-wedlock births across the sports leagues. It's written by Lester Munson, and I recently reread it. And I was intrigued by it primarily because I know no mainstream corporate media publication would run that title, and particularly with a, a little black um, boy on the, on the cover. But what Munson did was use sports as a microcosm of the broader society. And I think that that's you know, always an uh, interesting way to address important social topics. So I asked the question, and I had two athletes in mind. One was Cam Newton. Uh, who recently had a conversation with Brittany Renner where he talked about the reasons he chose not to marry the mother of four of his biological children. Um, and then the other person was Van Jefferson, who um, wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl champion, who got word that his wife had gone into labor right after the Rams won the Super Bowl. And he was actually on the field with his three kids. And, um, you know, th there was a really cute video of it online and he, you see him telling the kids in real time, mommy's pregnant, we gotta go to the hospital, she's about to have your brother. And I, and I just use those two athletes to show that there are options for people, and particularly for professional athletes, um, who, who are thinking about how to form families. And I think 
and particularly on on the heels of one of my recent columns about Van Jones and you know conscious co-parenting quote unquote I think Van Jefferson just shows that there's a different path and and later in the column I tie in um, another athlete Candace Parker WNBA star who just announced that uh, her and her wife just had a baby which prompts a the, the same question from 1998, which is, where's daddy? Uh, and I think that that situation prov- provides a different look into the modern American family that was basically unheard of in 1998, but I think is becoming more and more prevalent um, where, where things stand right now. Yeah, uh, I found this particular passage in, in your, there's a couple, but this one here is what struck me first. Uh, you're talking about Cam Newton, the all-pro quarterback stated that the lure of available women was simply too strong for him to commit to being a faithful husband. Cam isn't the first athlete to put off marriage to play the field, but like many of his peers, he acts as if children don't also connect you to another person for life. And what, what the breakdown in logic for me with Cam is like, okay, you're not the first person to say, you know, the lure of other women makes me not want to get married. Why can't he also say the lure of other women make me not want to have a baby mm. with a random woman because I know I'm too undisciplined to be monogamous and enter into a marriage with a woman. So with all of these apparatuses and inventions and birth control pills, female condom, male condom, he's acting as if he couldn't, and again, he's, and I really can say this about Cam because his dad's a minister, he's raised in Mm -hmm. the church, he, he at least, I don't know what biblical values he's had, but he's tossed them aside like most everybody else. Uh, I, I just don't know if it's that hard to make the decision, if you're smart enough to say, ah, yeah, I'm just too crazy to get married. Well, you, you may also be too crazy to have babies. Uh, is that that hard to figure out? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Um, if you're a quarterback who can diagram plays and, and remember them with pinpoint precision, I think you should be able to, to remember or to, or to know how babies are made and to prevent that if, if you want to, you know, basically uh, pal around with a, with a bunch of women. And I mean, obviously, you know, there are athletes who've done this. Derek Jeter played an entire career um, free of scandal, had, was associated with all types of women, singers, models, actresses. And when he got married, when he retired, he decided to get married. Um, so it's not to say that athletes don't even have a template in their sort of own profession. But I think, as is the case in 1998, um, when, when Lester Munson wrote this report, it's the same thing now. Um, it's, it's not economics, despite what a lot of people say. Oh, well, you know, if, 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 if the men just had jobs and they would marry before they get before they have kids. And it's like, no, these guys have access to every imaginable resource. It's, it's, not, it's not economics. It's about values, it's about responsibility. It's, it's, the, the questions are, you know, is marriage important um, to me? 
If so, how important is it? Is it important enough for me to discipline myself and have enough self-control uh, to commit to, to one woman uh, for one lifetime? Um, and and if, if they answer that question in, in the affirmative, right, then you get Van Jefferson. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Van Jefferson seems to be a, a believer in terms of his public proclamations. Um, him and his wife are high school sweethearts. They, they talk about God. He says that he prays with his mom before every game. Uh, I don't think that that's a coincidence, particularly for a young man who's only 25 and already is, has his third child with his wife. Not He's not taking the Johnny Appleseed approach to, to fatherhood like a lot of athletes um, have done. Um, but, but the other thing is, you know, do you, if, if you don't want to get married, it's like, do you have the, the discipline to do what it takes to, to prevent that? And a, a lot of athletes, as is the case with a lot of men, and I've certainly been there before in my life, are just irresponsible, right? It's not, it's not particularly difficult. It's like, this is 2022, we know, we know how babies are made. And, and after a guy has his first quote unquote mistake, right? His first oops. By the time he gets to his ninth child by, by the seventh different mother, it's clear like this, this, is not, this is not random or chance. And whether that's Adrian Peterson, um, Travis Henry, uh, Antonio Cromartie may top all of them because at one point, you know, when 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 the Jets were being covered um, for hard knocks, he was struggling to name all of his children. I think he had at least ten, and he, I think he had at least three children that were three years old. So he he was busy, you know, obviously a, a couple years before that. So a, a big part of it just boils down to responsibility and whether men are willing to take responsibility for their decisions, their lifestyle choices, and their families. Delano, I'm going to push back slightly on the use okay. of the word responsibility, and, I, and I'm going to tell you why. And it's because we have built, for black people, a culture that promotes baby mamas and baby daddies. Mm. And so in Cam Newton's mind, he's not being remotely irresponsible because mm. Again, the left and the ideology that he and others have bought into says, man, if you can financially afford it, there's nothing irresponsible about having four kids with a woman you have no intentions of marrying. I believe he has at least one, maybe other kids beyond yeah. this, uh, this one woman. And it's like, well, as long as you can afford it, as long as they have diapers and baby food and a house over their head, it's not, they're not even, the responsibility is not crossing their minds. We've built a culture that this is acceptable. And, and it, the only irresponsible thing is not having enough money. And, and, and I'm gonna go, you mentioned Van Jefferson and I, you know, it's great juxtaposition. I'm gonna juxtapose Cam Newton with another superstar uh, NFL player, Aaron Rodgers. Mm. It, it appears, based on his dating history and a couple of different women I think he's been engaged to or whatever, he finds the allure of women hard to resist. Somehow, he keeps managing not to have kids with them as far as we know. It's right. just amazing that he actually either knows uh, condoms, birth control pills, or he can, the women know their cycle well enough, but he somehow is pulling it off. 
I mean, he's been jumping from brunette to brunette to brunette, just broke off an engagement with one, and and some magically not he hasn't had a kid with one of them as far as we know. He certainly hasn't had four, and so that's where I have to just say, this is a culture thing, and yeah. and we've built a culture that has been imposed on us, and we've helped build that responsibility is not even a topic. It, this whole world is about what you're owed and what you're entitled to and what oppression did you allegedly face. And if you have money, there are virtually no rules that apply to you. I mean, I think you make a, a great point. I do think part of it is culture. And, and when I say that, I mean specifically a set of uh, norms, values, behaviors, that people in a particular context accept um, as, as, as normal. And even though there, there are a number of, of black professional athletes in the NBA and the NFL who are married with children, who have perfectly you know, solid and stable, at least from the outside looking in, um, you know, perfectly normal, committed family lives, there are also a, a pretty large number who um, have kids outside of, of marriage and, and um, fewer now that I think of some some of the athletes that I have in mind that have you know like multiple kids. Again, Adrian Peterson is part of the older guard. You know, uh, Cromartie again. Is, you, you talk about guys in their 30s and 40s, but it's not a surprise to me at all, Jason. When I see, like for instance, when Saquon Barkley came into the league, and I think he he had had a baby right before he got drafted. Um, I didn't even have to look it up. I just I just played the odds, and I figured. There's probably at least an 85% chance that he's that he's not married to the mother of his child. Now, on the flip side, you know, somebody like Trevor Lawrence, number one draft pick. Now, he is it wasn't that he announced it wasn't announced that he was having a child, but when I heard that he was getting married, again, almost around the time that he was getting drafted, you know, if 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 he's a committed Christian and, and so is his wife, that sounded about normal to me. So to, to your point, I do think that part of this is about what has been um, expected and what has been accepted. And particularly in the black community, there is no longer any type of social stigma, spoken or unspoken, um, imp implied or explicit around people having children outside of marriage. And it's to the point, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, part of this is because we have, uh, one, we've sort of detached you know, marriage and, and child rearing. And I think to your point, part of this is, is the influence of an ideology that says basically men are just a paycheck. So if you can, if a man is fulfilling the fine, his basic financial duties to his children, then he, he's, you know, he's, he's doing more than most. And what we miss is the, is the em emotional investment, the, the guidance, the discipline that, that fathers bring to their children um, and, and what we also miss, and this is where people like Candace Parker come in, is that there's also something that men bring to women and vice versa. So our detachment of um, marriage and child rearing doesn't just have an effect on children. It also has an effect on male-female relationships. Um, and I think that's why I'm, full of, I'm not for sort of disembodied fatherhood where it's just, you know, a yeah, he's, he's an involved dad. Okay. But, but I believe husbandhood should come before fatherhood. And that order 
is, is an order that, that many of us sort of grew up, you know, knowing, like the kids knew it intuitively. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage. But now uh, the younger generations have, you know, it's like, you know, Cam and Kia uh, staring at their screens, T-E-X-T-I-N-G. First comes sex, then comes baby, then comes marriage, but that's a big maybe. And that's, that's where the, the broader society is right now in terms of uh, what's normal in terms of forming a family. Delano, uh, anything, and this is where and, you know, people get tired and they roll their eyes when I say, <laughs> hey man, this feels satanic, but, but mm. it's almost anything that promotes chaos mm. has been uh, sold to black people as, well, this is normal and this is the direction you need to go. And, and I'm thinking of the recent Essence magazine cover where uh, they have the, the two lesbians caressing and whatever, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's like this is the new family structure or the preferred, I don't wanna call it new, the preferred family structure for black people. Mm. It's, it's never black man and black woman it, 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 it's never just man and woman, because I, I would take race out of it. I, I just, you know, it, it's all, it's this. And, and so it's like, and I connect that cover to like the promotion of Lizzo and her obesity as healthy. And so it's like mm. anything that leads us to chaos and dysfunction is promoted by, because again, Essence Magazine is basically the cosmopolitan magazine for black women. Right. And this is what's on the cover. This is what's being promoted. And, and so I, I, I look at what's going on in, in the family structure wise and, and, and how we've normalized uh, just a paycheck and, and, and it's, it feels like this is an intentional thing to put us in a certain lane that doesn't lead to procreation, and it also mm. doesn't lead to when you do create the proper development of those young people that you do create. And, and I believe one of God's harshest judgments when we pass is going, how did we handle the things that we created? And, mm. and children are, are the one thing uh, we can create and, and then I'll, I'll just add this other extra layer of, we spend so much time talking about these scars that white people and their behavior, their use of words mm -hmm. ha have left on us. And oh my God, they, and, and, and we almost, I mean, it's like, well, hold on, man. If you have a young person and you're not willing to commit to his mother or commit to his father, and, and he's going to school, and particularly, because you know we love to, as soon as we get some money, run out to a white neighborhood and send our kids to school with white kids who, when it's daddy-daughter dance, all the daddies mm. are showing up. Mm. And, and our kids are, oh, well, this is uncle so-and-so taking you to the daddy-daughter. But these scars of abandonment mm. 
that we're doing in real time to kids, but all we want to talk about is, oh, the Tulsa massacre, the scars from Black Wall Street getting turned down, and the scars from Kunta Kinte getting whipped in roots. We want to talk about that long ago stuff and do virtually no talking about, because I've seen this in my own family with kids that I love and tried to stand in the gap for their fathers. Mm. That leaves real scars, man, real, real scars. Mm. This stuff we talk about, oh, well, someone called me a boy, and oh, well, someone rapped along to the N-word, and that don't leave no scars. Not like when daddy ain't there. Mm. Jason, I'm trying to compose myself, because you, you said a lot there, and, and you wound me up, and, and I'm, I'm gonna try to hit this thing straight through the front door. Um, you hit on, on so much right there. I, I, so I'll start with the last thing and, and work my way backwards. Um, I'm of the belief that if black uh, political pundits, elected officials, um, institutions, or even in the broader society, people who say that they care about black folks and the progress of our community, if we spent as much time talking about the impact of family structure, right, and getting that order correct as we did about white people, our, our entire community would be in a much, much different place. And I even mentioned that in the piece, I said, I mean, one of the biggest disparities in this country is the difference in terms of the, the rate of non-marital births in the black community versus everybody else. Our, our rate was about 70% of black kids are born to unmarried parents is about 30 percentage points higher than, than the national average. So if the NFL wants to tackle racial disparities, they can start there. They, they have Van Jefferson, they got Russell Wilson, they got a bunch of other guys who are married with kids, who, who love their wives um, and, and support their children. And instead of having the Inspire Change commercials where you got the, the guy in the prison jumpsuit and he, 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 he dancing and doing all this thing, walking down the street with his fist in the air over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you could say, look, if, if you see yourself as a king, you need a queen, you need some land and territory, and you need some princes and princesses. That's, that's what a real king does. If you want to talk about generational wealth, you're not building. I don't care whether you play in the NFL or you deliver packages for Amazon. If you as a man are having to support five different households, including the one that you live in, that doesn't include any of your children, you're not building wealth. I'm sorry, it's not happening. It's not happening. If you have to pay, like in, in, the, um, in the piece that Lester Munson wrote, he started with Larry Johnson, he talked about his trip to a paternity clinic. He said Larry Johnson had five kids with four different women. The last mother was getting basically about $9,000 a month in um, child support. Uh, that's in 1998. I think I read, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, when, uh, when Brittany Renner divorced P.J. Washington, right, sort of fast forwarding back to the, to the present, I think I read he was supposed to pay her $200,000 a month in child support. If that is correct. That was exaggerated. That was exaggerated, but go ahead. Oh, okay, okay. But if it's $30,000, $50,000 a month, right, imagine a guy in his position, right, a, a, an okay player, not a superstar, but who's having to do that across four or five different households. I mean, what, what are you going to build? And, and, and how are you going to pour into your children just as a father? 
right? The one thing they're not making more of is time. You can't split yourself five different ways. So if all five of your children sit up at two in the morning and they say, they scream out for daddy because they're having a nightmare, at best you can attend to one of them. And if you're not with any of the mothers, all of them are gonna come up empty. And, and you're right, that I've, I've seen guys on, on some of your previous shows who talk about that void of not having a father there and how even as grown men, they were doing everything that they could to prove to their fathers that they were worthy of the love that they didn't get. But for us as black folk, we do everything that we can to prove to white folk that we're worthy of the love that they think that they um, owe us. And, and you're right, it's created some very perverse incentives in the way that we look at our culture and society. We think white people should be more responsible for the actions of their great grandfathers than we are um, for, the, for the behavior and actions of our sons. And, and that's part of the reason that our community is in, is in the type of place that it is. The, the other thing I'll say real quick is that what you're seeing across the country and, and certainly through big tech and big media and sports leagues is the influence that BLM, Black Lives Matter, has had on our entire culture and our sort of political discourse. When the most prominent civil rights organization in a generation lists as one of its principles to disrupt the, the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, that should have been a red flag to anybody who could read. But instead, our dopey leadership class said, no, let's invite these people into our sports leagues. Let's write their slogan on, on our courts. Let's put it on our baseball diamonds, on, 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 uh, on the hockey rink. Let's invite them to the, to, the, to the White House and do all these other things. And what we end up doing is accepting their ideology as our own. So now when people, whether through words or deeds, say, oh, we don't really need black fathers or fathers in general, but certainly not black fathers, right? We, we only need black fathers to the extent they can provide seed for life and, and, and their own corpses to feel activism. Other than that, once, once that's done, we have no need for them. As husbands and fathers, oh, please, we don't need that. As Brittany Cooper said, the black community does not need nuclear families to thrive. And, and that is the, the reigning ideology. And you see that from Essence to, to the NBA to the halls of power. And, and you, you hit on that Essence cover and the impact that media uh, has on people. When you see it, right? When I first saw the cover, I said, oh, oh, Nisi Nash must be with a new guy. But I said, no, that's not a guy. That's a woman who has sort of the, the physical presence um, of, of a man short haircut, sort of slim build. If, if you look quickly, you wouldn't even know that it's a woman. And it just goes to show you, as you said, we may try to run as far from God as we, as we want to, but ultimately we are going to have to, to bow and submit to his design for this world. We didn't create the world, we're living in it. And what you see, and you see this all the time, I see this in my, in my personal life all the time, it is very rare to see two butch women together or two extremely feminine women together. Usually somebody's playing a role. And, and one of them is big and, or, or, or they may not be big, they may be muscular, they may wear men's clothes and have a, have a short haircut. And then the other one plays the other role. So as much as we may try to, to defy or deny or reject God's design for his world, ultimately we're gonna to have to submit to it.
I want to end on this note, uh, one, another paragraph that caught my attention in your piece. Uh, you say, that's because these groups, like most Americans, think that conversations about family should focus on the desires of adults. We rarely consider what is best for children. I thought it was a powerful paragraph because it hits at this narcissistic society that we live in. And we only think about what's best for us. And mm -hmm. that's Cam Newton. When I hear him talk about it, he's talking about what's best for him, the lure of other women. He's not talking about what's best for those four kids and the one, two, or three other ones he's got spread out. That's not a concern. And this whole culture that we have in America right now, it, it, it's, we, we don't think about the kids and what we create. We think, yeah. well, this is gonna get in the way of my happiness. And, and, and the, the irony is, Right. Sports media, if you tune on, if you've been watching ESPN for the last six months, you'll hear Stephen A. Smith get on there and lecture about Kyrie Irving, how he's a bad teammate. And and, and Kevin Durant and James Harden should call him out for not wanting to get a vaccine. So these are people who understand the notion of self-sacrifice. Right. Until it comes to this issue and then all mouths shut and everybody is silent. So, as I said, if, if these are folks who would talk about the impact of, of family and fatherlessness as much as they talk about, you know, the, the duty that Kyrie Irving has to take the jab, then we, we may see, um, you know, we may see things turn around. But you're right. A lot of this is about the desires of, of, of adults. And um, I think, you know, I shared last week. Well, uh, uh, let me stop you one uh -huh. second, Delano, because you've just okay. led me to a great point that I don't want to miss. And, okay. and, and this because what you're talking about, Stephen A. Smith and the whole culture, and I'm not, uh, corporate media culture, they understand accountability mm. as it relates to the vaccine and COVID and concern. Do it for other people. Wear right. a mask. Do protect other people. Just think if we had that same mindset, you know what? Wear a condom to protect other people. Don't create a kid. Make condoms the same as masks. And, 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 and I, you know, I, I'm in a different headspace than I was when I lived in LA and, and the years mm -hmm. before when I was clearly a different person. But, but I mean, I, I did consistently wear a condom. It is by mm -hmm. choice that I don't have a kid. And, and it's because I was like, I'm too irresponsible. And, and, you know, a lot of the women I'm messing with, they too irresponsible to have my kid. Uh, you know, someone could end up dead in this situation. Uh, and so I just don't understand, I just don't get it. Again, we can sit up and we can get on TV. Oh, you gotta wear a mask to protect other people. But these yeah. lifetime decisions, because when you have mm -hmm. a kid, that's a lifetime decision. COVID comes and goes. And 99.9% .9 of the people survived it. And, and, but when you have a kid, that's a lifetime decision. And, and we can't hold each other accountable, put any pressure on, hey, there's birth control, there's female condoms, there's male condoms, there's abstinence. There's, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a, but, so I wish that people were as insistent about you know, wearing a condom as they were wearing a mask, but mm. a lot of, I, I've, we've gone too long. <laughs> okay. I gotta let you go. Great job.
Thank you, as Thank always. You, All right, uh, you guys on YouTube uh, slash Jason Whitlock, hit that subscribe, uh, enable your notifications, hit that likes. Uh, tell your friends, if you're a fearless soldier, you need to be recruiting for the fearless army. All right, Uncle Jimmy is going to come back, come on and talk about uh, LeBron James and whether he's putting too much pressure on his son, Bronny, to play in the NBA. And we'll have our approval rating on the Klitschko brothers. Next. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. Wow. All right, welcome back. Time for our approval rating segment. Your favorite time of the show. It, it really is my favorite time of the show. Uncle Jimmy's here. Uh, he's feeling good. He's sounding good. Uh, he's got a little work to do after the show even, so... Oh, of course I do. Uh, you know, and you're all fearless out there. You got your, you back soldiering again, huh? Oh, that's it, man. Hey, fearless army. Ten, <laughs> hey, get down to business. Yeah, uh, I guess before we get to the uh, approval rate on the Klitschko's, you want to talk about Bron Bron and Bronny? You know, we, talk, we, we, we started off talking about this, and I, I was trying to whisper this to you before we went on the air. After listening to Delano talk about where's daddy, and we talk about all these athletes who ain't out here being daddy and what they're not doing, we give LeBron a hard time, but LeBron's out here being daddy. Might be daddy dearest, but you're right. It, it, it's, <laughs> you're right. But he's out here being, I mean, we can't have it both ways. You know, we, we, we can either say you ain't there or we can either say you being to. I mean, that this is what we have to do. I don't with. know if it's a binary choice, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm, my, my point, I'm just simply saying is, hey, man, the man's married. The man's there. He's taking care of his kids. And he, he's trying to be there for his kids. I'm going to tell you something. The man got three kids. If he gets one kid out of them three, he's doing good. One kid out of them three. If you get one good, th one good kid out of three, you're doing good. I'm not mad at <laughs> Let me Let me let you in on secret, but, man. But you, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just... I want to bear down here a little bit because I, I agree with you. LeBron 
is involved in his kid's life. He's married to, to the mother of his kids. Beautiful but, woman. But he's, the kid's a junior in high school. I think he's the 43rd rated high school player in his class. And LeBron is talking about him being an NBA player like it's a foregone conclusion. He's going the speak it into existence route like LeVar, but LeVar was working with at least two of his boys uh, were, you know, like top 10 rated in their class, top five. LaMelo may have been the best guy in his class. LeVar, you know, LeVar's son is six foot three. He didn't get all of LeVar, uh, out of LeBron's, I'm sorry, LeBron's kid, six foot, he didn't get all of LeBron's size. Yeah, but was it yesterday or today? You know that kid just signed a contract with PSD underwear for $5.1 million. That's $17 million. So if LeBron don't do nothing else. $5.1 million and that's $17 million. Translate that. Well, he, he signed $5.1 million, but yeah. the kid's 17 years old. Oh, 17 years old. 17 years old and signed the contract already. I, I, now you, you are aware, though, he signed that contract because of his daddy. If, if his last name was uh, Dodds, Dodds <laughs> Whitlock, <laughs> Bronnie Dodds, <laughs> if it was Bronnie Dodds, that might have been uh, $5.1. <laughs> I, I understand it. So in other, all I'm saying about LeBron is I don't blame for wanting his son to follow his that, that we, we do that. And, you know, we talk about, I'm not mad at him about it, okay? You got to speak that. It's a lot of parents who've done that with their kids, okay? So, I mean, look. And who've done that with their kids and it hasn't worked. Okay, Jason, I'm gonna go all the way back. Do you remember, this is when we was at Sports Radio 810. Here we go. I don't know if you remember, but there was this family in Blue Springs that would call me, call the radio show versus every The little boy. The little boy who they said was the next Michael Jordan. They sent a video. He hit 16 shots in What was in his name, Bron Bron? And he's only like, they say he's like three years old. He's, and I'm like, that. Because oh, I, I literally, and I remember telling the story, I was like, do you understand how cold I was as a football player at age 10? I'm t- when I was 10, nobody could touch me on the football field. I could play quarterback, I could, any of the positions, anything. And, you know, I was like, that was at age 10. Mm-hmm. Time I got to <laughs> done with well. high school, <laughs> I got to high school, was like Ball State, mid-major, that whole NFL thing, but I, you know, like Emmett Smith is in the same class as me. And I'm saying at age 10, I would have gave Emmett, Emmett the Smith. Word. Yes, all of that. I, I understand that. I mean, and, and but you're not the only one that says it. There's a long line. First of all, let me be honest with you. Every chance I get, I mean, I'm speaking up on life. Every chance I get, I put my sons to work. Every chance I get. You might not have seen. We did the Antonio Brown video. There's my two sons right there. <laughs> AC and Deucey. You see them right there. You see them? They're going to be the next Uncle Jimmy's. I'm just you... letting you know. I put them in the first chance I can get. Remember, you remember you the... predicting they're the next I, Uncle Jimmy's? I'm Jimmy? speaking it into existence. <laughs> Uncle Deucey. <laughs> and, and AC. AC and Deucey. These are my two boys right there. Remember the Griffies? Remember Ken Griffey Jr.? Remember the Griffey boys? Yep. They, they did it. Okay? Remember the Ripkins? You, you forgot the Ripkins boys got out. Kyle Ripkin. Kyle Ripkin, his brother and his dad. Their daddy. There they are right there. Mm-hmm. Here, I got one more for you. Now, this is legendary. The Rhodes boys. Rhodes. Yeah. Dusty. <laughs> Dustin. 
<laughs> there you go, right there, man. Only thing I'm saying about this, and seriously, when we talk about Bronny and we talk about, I really want these, I want teams, and this is what we're saying, you gotta be careful just because that's LeBron James' son. You can't be, we can't be going out blowing number one draft picks on Bronny just cause he LeBron James' son. Don't do like the Lakers and blew all them draft picks on Magic Johnson's son like the Lakers did. And you're gonna end up looking like, don't do that, man. <laughs> don't do it. That's all I'm saying. Magic Johnson's my favorite athlete. You shouldn't have put me in that position. I know Magic. Not, not that we're friendly, but we are friendly, but you shouldn't have put, it sounds like I was giggling. And I didn't even look at that picture. I was just, I, 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 let me stop. <laughs> you put me in harm's way, man. <laughs> now you know how Delano feel every time he come on here. <laughs> now, now I'm going to have to tell a real story. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was, I'm going to tell the names. I was out to dinner in Miami okay. when, Le, when LeBron was playing in Miami. Okay. Back at that time. I was more friendly with LeBron in his camp. Okay. There wasn't a bad. And so I was out to dinner with Maverick Carter. And uh, this six foot five, 350 pound dude came sashaying by our table with a purse. And I pointed to Maverick and I said, he's, he's like, that's Magic, son. And I said, stop it, man. He goes, no, that's Magic Sun. You didn't know that's Magic Sun? And I, I was shocked. I mean, this had to be 2011, 12, somewhere in there. Because, uh, again, LeBron was down there playing. And so the, for, my mouth fell to the floor. Everybody in Miami knew Magic Sun. And I was the one person that didn't. So we were at a very popular club having dinner. And... Uh, Magic's six foot five, 350 pound son came sashaying through with a purse and it, it blew my mind. All due respect, Magic's son's lost a lot of weight. He's down to about 250 now. Looking good. Come on, let's go. All right. <laughs> so uh, let's wrap up this. Let's show. do this. Let me, man. Before while I get in more trouble. While, uh, while, I, while we still got a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's do the Klitschko brothers' approval rating. They're staying behind in the Ukraine. They're fighting for their country. Uh, job performance. One of them, Vitaly, I guess, is the mayor of Kiev or whatever. Uh, so I, I'm just sorry. These guys are 40, 50, some odd years old. They're fighting for their country. I got to be very high on their job performance. I'm going to go 23. Uh, I respect you. I understand what you're saying. Me, myself, I'm going to give them a 15. I understand that they both are fighting for their country. I understand this. I understand that you can take a punch, but can you take a tank? Okay? It's only a, it's only a level to so much you can do. Can you take a nuke? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Right up to you. It's, it's, only, it's only so much nobility, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, character, uh, they certainly to me, seem to be of high character. They're defending their country despite being millionaires and poverty. They, they could run over here to L, um, uh, the U.S. of A and avoid all of this. So I, I, I'm high on their character. I'm going perfect score 25. That's exactly what I said uh, to Chris. I said, hey, man, they, they could have easily stayed right over here, man. I give them a 25, man. They fighters, man. It's all or nothing, man. I uh, like them, man. I don't know if you can be much more authentic uh, than no. them. Uh, so I gave him a 24 in authenticity. Well, you could be more authentic. You can give him a 25. Yeah. See, because like, what did we just say, man? They could retire in luxury. They made millions here in America, but they true patriots. 
and they, they're not staying in Hollywood, man. They put their life on the line. Let me ask you a question, man. These guys, would, could, you, could you imagine LeBron James if America was being attacked? Is he going to stop lacing up his Nikes and go put on a pair and lace up some combat boots? No. Might do it for China, but won't do it for America. Uh, it it factor, uh, I got him at a 20 just because uh, I know there's probably a few young ladies and family members that have taken out life insurance policies on them, <laughs> hoping to cash in. So uh, their it factor is a little bit. So I got my 20 it factor. I give them 25, man, honestly. Truthfully, man, they're, they're going out, they're fighting for their country. Uh, I can't ask any more of it, man. Honestly, man, we crack jokes, but uh, when you're going out there putting your life on the line, there, there's no jokes to be cracked, man. You just have to tell them, hey, man, God bless you, Godspeed, and, you know, I wish the best for you. It's a serious deal, man. All right. We both have them at blazing hot. I'm a little higher than you at 92. Uh, you got them at a 90, but you can't really do any better than blazing hot. They're blazing, man. The blazing. All right. Speaking of blazing. <sighs> Tamara's blazing. <laughs> hey, man, what, when are you going to make things right with Tamara so she can get here? On, I mean, honestly, man, it's, it's, we're going on a year. Literally, I reached out. Today. How far did she run? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> an amazing picture of her at Wally's that just took me back, and I was like, I may have to run out to LA and just go to Wally's. Just okay, like, Jason, did she send you a picture of her, or did she have a picture of truffle chicken in her hand? <laughs> she, it was on her Instagram. It's on her Instagram. All right, I gotta go. We gotta go. We'll see you tomorrow. Looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of free. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. Raise up your hands for freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want.